It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchain. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchain. I'm senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. We are continuing in our study of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. If you have missed the prior broadcast, let me encourage you now. You can go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. And there at our website, you'll find the archive of these programs and more. You can go and watch videos. You can also listen to these podcasts, this radio program, and go and share with your friends and family alike. We want to encourage you to do that as we are here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so as we're talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, our uh, well, our goal through this is that we are not only educated to understand this thousand-year period of time that is forthcoming, but also to encourage all of us greatly. Because as we keep our eyes fixated on the coming king's reign, it can give us a great deal of encouragement in the midst of all the noise today. It is very difficult to find the uh, the little ray of light, the maybe the little hope uh, that we're looking for and, and gravitating towards in the midst of all of this, what seems to be just escalating darkness. That's not where we're to put our eyes or fixation on. Rather, we are to uh, fixate on the things that are of, of praiseworthy uh, things that are joy-filled, honorable unto the Lord. These are the things where we should put our attentions to, as we're told to do in Philippians. And so as we examine the landscape today, we have to believe that the day is coming soon for the Lord's reign. And that's not to discourage, but rather to encourage. And, and so we want to talk a little bit more about that today. We've spent the last couple months really talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And even last week, we examined it very closely, verse by verse, really, uh, going through quite a few scriptures as we examined Ezekiel and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, the book of Revelation, really getting this very detailed image of what happens during this thousand-year reign. How long do, do people live? Are they still having children? Is there peace with animal life? And how, how's the agriculture and, and, and this agrarian society as Jesus reigns over it all? And what is King David's role? So I hope I've prompted you to at least go back and listen again at Calvary Fountain. Com. So let's pick up again today as we're now examining once again how things are transitioning from what we know today to this uh, new landscape under the reign of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so to help me do that here in the studio, Dr. Steve Ford is back with us. Dr. Ford, welcome back to Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. It's great to be back for the fastest 25 minutes of the week. <laughs> That's and, right. Uh, just hold on to your hats. This this goes by so quickly, and we have so many great things to cover. That's right. John's got a great show for us today. And even off the air, we were just discussing things regarding the Millennial Temple and the different temples that have been, even the Tribulation Temple, and where all those right. things fit together, which is really fascinating. And a number of times you've mentioned to us, uh, and, and given us some details into the size of the, the Millennial Temple itself and the complex and all those sort of things. Right. And I think another interesting topic, are, and, and you've told me about some of the geographic changes that would have to take place for a temple to right. actually fit 
in that particular location. At this uh, point. We've spent a lot of time in Israel, and I love going there. Right now, it's a little more challenging these days. Right. Oh, uh, we're hoping to get back next year, but we love taking groups to those locations because you just don't read the Bible the same way oh, amen once that. you've been there. Yeah. And, and certainly the Temple Mount is <laughs> probably this, uh, may, maybe the hot hottest uh, place of contention in the world. I mean, this this location, priceless location that it is, is has we talked about it last week of how many battles have taken place in the city of peace right. uh, <laughs> and, right. and this good. temple mount mount moriah and what took place there and how many have laid claim to it ever since and even the structure that's built on it now i want to talk a little bit about that here in a moment and we've shared a little bit about it uh, in prior broadcasts but the dome and uh, the al-aqsa mosque right. that currently occupy this place that they believe to be the temple mount uh, of course, there's some dispute of whether or not right. it was a Roman fortress and maybe the temple just adjacent to that there in the city of David. Uh, they've been excavating that quite a bit. A lot of archaeology is still going on. Even today, new discoveries being made right. that are calling into question whether the foundation was really where we believe it to be today or just adjacent to. And if it's adjacent to it, certainly they could start construction of a new temple there without interfering with the Islamic worship. Right. And I know that they've already talked about now, some some news has already gone out about this, about the complex there in Dubai where they want to have a ecumenical center, oh, if you yeah. will, for Christians, actually for the Catholics and Jews and Muslims on one complex. Right. And then they want to use that blueprint to move that to Jerusalem as sort of a universal church blueprint. Uh, very interesting. I encourage yeah. all to go and listen to those details for yourself online. You can find the number of articles about it. Uh, so you can read about it, learn more about it for yourself. But let me just uh, highlight here, just to, to, to kind of recap in brief where we ended last week, uh, because we were talking about how there were people still on the earth, even after Megiddo, the Battle of Megiddo, Armageddon, uh, after the Lord's coming reign, and, and he, there he is just in his glory revealed there at the Mount of Olives, and he comes victoriously to to squelch these oppressing armies and and to liberate Israel and ultimately to establish his reign. And and so there are mortals still on the earth. And even us coming back in our glorified bodies as immortals, what we come to the scene to realize here is the Lord now reigns. He settles all disputes. He establishes a beautiful, healthy government as we have longed for, desired for, and look eagerly towards. And he starts to teach his ways to all the nations of the earth. And we get that from Micah chapter 4, 2 to 3 and verse 8. And as you've mentioned, the true third temple is established, and the nations go to Jerusalem to worship there, according to Ezekiel 40 to 48. So detailed are those chapters. I mean, even the crown molding is given to us in detail, the heights of the steps and, and, and all the buildings in this complex. So you can have such detailed imagery there. They've actually created 3D videos online where you can just take a tour through the Millennial Temple. And it's right. nothing like what man has made today uh, or even attempted to in the past. And, and we've talked about the, the uh, you know, prestige and the opulence of the Herodian Temple and even Solomon's Temple. And they really are God's temples. Uh, but men you know, obviously got credit for those, and Herod kept building upon it. Um, but there's a true third temple that's coming, and all the nations will go to Jerusalem during the reign of Christ, specifically even for the Feast of Tabernacles, 
And there's punishment if they don't. And we read that in Zechariah 14, 16 to 19. So I'll highlight now for a listener that next week we're going to talk a little bit more about that, how the worship looks in this temple and certain feasts that are still observed, even though we're, we, the redeemed people of God, the, the, the chosen, the royal priesthood, as we come back, we are no longer under the law, but there seems to be a return to some ordinances, even in worship, with some of the feasts and sacrifices and so forth. We'll talk about why. That'll be a big program next week. But all the people go to Israel. They specifically come under these the authority that God has established there. We see that in Isaiah 60, verses 2 to 3. Uh, the government leaders of the nations will care for Israel's children. Uh, quite the contrary, it seems, today. Uh, but during the millennial reign, there'll be Gentile nations that, that even uh, love on Israel and its people and all who gather there. And that's Isaiah 49, 22 to 30, 23. So the foreigners, they will shepherd their flocks, they'll work the fields and vineyards from Isaiah 61, 5. And all of this just highlights the the new splendor of Israel and specifically of Jerusalem. So let's just talk a little bit about this new temple. You you introduced it, and uh, let's just jump <laughs> right into that. At the first temple, we have the Ark of the Covenant that occupied the Holy of Holies. I was talking to Dr. Ford before the program, and the markers that we have in time are the temples. In fact, you can go all the way to the date that Adam was born if we have the first temple date right. Because if we know those dates, then we know the durations of time that every individual lived all the way back to Adam. So it's a marker in time, a standing stone. So we believe that the first temple that was commissioned by God, these are the commissioned temples, not ones attempted right. to be built by man to appease God. And we'll talk about that during the, uh, the seven-year tribulation period. But the first temple was constructed around 960 B.C. It was built in seven years, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 38, I find it, by comparison, we can, I don't know, maybe criticize Solomon a little bit. Sometimes it's e- easy to do that, that he spent 13 years on his own palace, according to 1 Kings 7, 1, and seven years on the temple of the Lord. Uh, however, we just see the size of the laborers that poured into that to make that possible. It was an urgency to get that done. King David had assembled all the materials. He wanted to be the one to build it. God said no, and Solomon was the one appointed to do so. The temple was constructed between... 966 B.C. and 957 B.C., so if we land on a nice round number of around 960, it was then destroyed by the Babylonians around 586 to 585 B.C., and then Israel was captive for 70 years. The second temple was constructed in 535 B.C. It was finished after a 20-year construction because they had started and not finished and had to go be reminded, hey, you're putting uh, siding on your houses while the Lord's temple remains unfinished. Let's get back to work. Uh, Herod, in fact, he would begin a project around 19 BC to start working and adding to that temple. And the irony in this is that that project would not be finished till around 63 AD, around seven years before it would be destroyed. So they just finished that second temple and it's wiped out in 70 AD. Right. And, and he puts such opulence into it, the gold that was actually in the brick became the desire for this oppressive Roman army that came through to wipe it out, and they shatter every brick to get the gold out of each brick. And that's, that's exactly what the Lord said would happen. And, and so we see this attempt during the seven-year tribulation 
to rebuild a temple. And, and that's the urgency that they have today. Go and rebuild the temple. We watch it very closely. The, the Temple Institute is desirous to do this tomorrow. I mean, they have all of the materials ready. Yep. They're eager to go and rebuild this temple, and they believe that will appease the Lord. Uh, but that's not the true commissioned third temple. We'll see that they'll there'll be a peace treaty with Israel. They'll start that construction. That peace treaty's broken halfway into that seven-year period of time. Just about the time the temple is finished, perhaps dedicated on a Passover, the Antichrist desecrates it. And that's what we see in Daniel 12, 11 and Matthew 24, 15, where that structure is called the abomination of desolation. Only in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it talks about the haughty pride and arrogance of this Antichrist, that he would sit himself in a position as if he were God in his temple. But this structure is referred to as the abomination of desolation. So it's not the true third temple that's commissioned by God. That's the difference. And that's the one in Ezekiel chapter 40 to 44. And that blueprint is unbelievable. It will consume 562,500 square feet, another 56 square miles for the holy district with all the priests that will serve at the Lord's side. Now, the cubits to feet ratio is a difficult one for us to understand at times, but many suspect that it's around 21 inches per cubit for that definition of a royal cubit. So when we see the 3D blueprints of that temple, that's where we get those dimensions from. Uh, you can certainly reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com, and we can send you a link for the 3D models of that temple. They're spectacular. I love going through those again, because the Bible is not clouding anything for us. There, there's no, what could it possibly look like? Maybe speculation about it? No, it's, it's very clear. Here are all the dimensions and every detail of the ornate elaborate structure of this complex. It's beautiful. Now, we read that this temple is massive, so let's see what happens here. In Revelation 16, 19, it says, Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So the great city likely describes Jerusalem. It, it contrasts with all the cities of the nations because of that phrase, the great. And it's described for us in Revelation 11.8. So this is all part of God's plan. This earthquake likely destroys the structures that are currently on what we believe to be the Temple Mount today. They were built then, whatever the new structure is, whatever this new temple they attempt to build there in Jerusalem that's desecrated by the Antichrist, according to Matthew 24, 15, all of that is destroyed. Because even the Dome of the Rock today with the Al-Aqsa Mosque are in the very designs of the Temple of Jupiter. Now, a lot of times when Islamic armies would go through and conquer, especially during the Ottoman Empire, they would lay claim to things that they built when actually they were rebuilding previous structures. Right. And we see that there was a great revolt against Rome when they decided to put this abomination on what was the Temple Mount, uh, the Temple of Jupiter, which was ultimately the same temple structure of a worship unto Zeus, i.e. the sun god, the false god, right? I mean, it's Satan himself, uh, Baal, Zeus, Jupiter, all one and the same, the false god, Satan himself. And so that structure rebuilt, that's why the dome is there next to another mosque. It doesn't make sense for anything else. We don't see that 
anywhere else, but that blueprint was used in Lebanon and also at the base of Mount Vesuvius. So you have the same structure that was replicated as a temple unto Jupiter. Therefore, it was an abomination even then, and it will only be added to as the Antichrist goes in to assume his reign. But So here we have this earthquake that wipes out everything, right? I mean, it flattens all the hills of Jerusalem to make way for God's plans for this final temple. It always revolves around Jesus, the Messiah, and around Israel, right? So everything else just has to be removed out of the way as Babylon has now fallen. So this temple vision that's given to Ezekiel, that was about 2,500 years ago, and some have speculated, how is that going to fit? Because you and I have talked about that. Right. The topography today, right it, that's right. right. It can't support it. The Kidron Valley is one of the problems. Right. It's so <laughs> deep. And and you might remember that particular verse of Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, he refers to that same valley as the valley of the shadow of death. And that's exactly what it is, because the Muslims filled up the area outside the eastern wall with graves to prevent the Jewish Messiah from entering through it, according to, he was Suleiman the Magnificent of the Ottoman Empire in 1540 AD, and he blocked up that eastern gate. And then on the other side of the Kidron Valley are where all the Jews have buried their kin and family members. And so you've got graves on both sides of this valley now. Indeed, it is the valley of the shadow of death. Well, the Messiah is supposed to come down then to the Mount of Olives right at the top of that and walk through that eastern gate. He's not going to desecrate himself walking across tombs, right? right? So something has to happen. And we see that there are four major earthquakes that are highlighted through Revelation and Zechariah that will all impact the topography of Jerusalem today. There's a massive earthquake that hits the whole world in Revelation 6.12, another that occurs in Revelation 11.13 with a tenth of Jerusalem being destroyed and 7,000 people killed. That's in Revelation 11.13. Then there's another earthquake that divides up the city into three parts, according to Revelation 16.19. And then finally, in Zechariah 14.4-5, he says that when Jesus comes down, He splits the Mount of Olives itself into two parts from east to west and makes a large valley. And that seems fitting that Jesus would walk right through that valley, not touching a single tomb. And that blocked up gate is no challenge for him (laughs) at all, right? So the structures of the Temple Mount today will not last. And the temple revealed to Ezekiel will be the true third commissioned temple that's anointed and prophesied by God to us. Now, Jewish scholars insist that they simply cannot build that Ezekiel temple. Well, <laughs> there you go. That's how you. That's how it's done. Uh, God has a plan, and we read in Isaiah 40, 1 to 5, we read this, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And again in Ezekiel 38, 18-22, we read, But on that day, says the Lord God, my wrath will be roused, for in my jealousy and in my blazing wrath I declare on that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and all creeping things that creep on the ground and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall quake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the cliffs 
shall fall and every wall shall tumble to the ground. So the entire system of ancient Babylon and modern Babylon and the system of Babylon all comes down. Every idol that has been erected, every obelisk, every monument to men, all of the archways and pillars and everything that we've built to embody Babylon across the globe, it all comes down and there is a great reset with Jesus Christ coming to reign. And I think that's that's the joy that I have in this. And we read in Revelation 21, 22, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb will be its temple in that new heaven and new earth. So although we can bask in the glory of this third temple, right. it even gets better after <laughs> yeah, that, right? So it's like, well, we'll end with the third after the thousand-year reign, and then we have the joy of the okay. presence of Almighty God with Jesus Christ as the Lamb who is illuminating and filling the whole world with that light. And I, I think that's the joy that we all should take away from this, is the Lord is going to prepare the landscape for his arrival. And we talked about that last week. Even the climate is going to be changed. Everything that we know will be changed, prepared for his reign. And now the very topography of Jerusalem has to change for him to have his temple and to reign over the entire earth from that. I mean, these are all spectacular things that are daunting to the human mind because we just can't imagine these kind of earthquakes and topography changes, but that's nothing to the Lord. Right. Absolutely nothing, <laughs> right? So I, I get excited by it, Dr. Ford. Oh, I know you definitely. do too. Oh, amen to that. Yeah, this is, you know what's so great? I'm just so glad that you're covering this because I don't know that I've ever really heard this taught from the pulpit. So I think some of these uh, some of these things are new to me. They may be new to our listeners, and I just think this is a great discussion filled with so much hope. Looking for the the glory and return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and Amen. spending that thousand years with Him, uh, you just have given us so much to look forward to. Absolutely, and I don't want anyone to be dismayed as they listen to this. Going, that sounds scary. All those earthquakes and all of those hardships. I, I assure you, as I believe that we are not appointed unto wrath. And whatever point you believe that to be, some of us have had debates about whether or not that's at the sixth seal, because that's when the wrath of God is poured out. So does the church go through those first five seals? Are the seals part of the seven years? And therefore, the the harpazo, the rapture is before that. Wonderful discussions. But what we can take away from it is this. We do have hope in Jesus Christ. He will gather his people, and he is the great redeemer. He is doing a wonderful work. He is going to redeem his bride. And we will come back with him, and we will see him reign. And he gives us such encouragement in Psalm 46, 2-3. Therefore, we shall not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. We shall not fear. And we need that today, because I think the, the media certainly, and we give the media a hard time, but it does seem like there is a, a, a pull towards all negative, uh, to all fear, a lot of fear mongering too. And it keeps us crippled where we just feel we can't even act. Right. Um, and that's not what we're to do. We actually should have a new joy in us with a boldness to speak of the Lord's coming uh, because we're not to be dismayed by the ever-changing landscape until the Lord's coming. Uh, because he's told us that things would happen even yeah. 2,500 years ago. Right. I'm coming for you. Right. Don't be dismayed. <laughs> yeah, I think you know, for those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, those of us who are disciples, don't be dismayed by thinking, I want to share the gospel. I need to be a theologian. I need to have this great understanding. 
Oh my goodness. God has made it so simple for people to come to him. That's right. That, you know, you don't need a PhD in theology. You don't need to know all the answers to be able to share the love of our savior, Jesus Christ, and that he died for this person. And all they need to do is accept that. That's right. spend eternity with him. He paid so, the ultimate price. He did. Yeah. So don't be daunted when it comes time to share the good news and share the gospel. Share the truth of Jesus Christ as you know it. It's it's very simple. It's very straightforward. That's the way our Lord intended it to be. Amen. Amen. So it would be bold for Christ. Amen. And live it even more so than you speak it. Our words should be speaking truth, but right. we should be living that truth. Right. And let the world see it, and may we bear his light. Uh, the world needs that. And so if we're not encouraged by what we've just talked about even today, uh, we may find that the uh, we're not really basking in the joy of the Lord that is our strength. That's right. And that's what he is to all of us. I hope you've been encouraged today as you've listened to Dr. Ford and I. We're going to continue this conversation next week as we examine the type of worship, what's going on in that temple that we've now just highlighted in brief, and certainly be the Bereans. Go and study this for yourself. But next week, we're going to really get into that of why there's some sacrifices still going on when we're no longer under the law. How does that work? So it'll be a fascinating study. I want to encourage you to tune in again next week. And, and please go and check us out at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, and services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.